Aloha. You are listening to a message from Shorebreak Church. If you have been blessed by this week's audio message, please join us in the mission of making disciples by partnering with us in prayer or by giving financially. Partner with us by visiting shorebreakchurch.com. Mahalo. Amen. And if you'd remain standing for the reading of God's Word, Mark. Mark's Gospel is where we find ourselves, chapter 13, verses 1 through 13, is where we are going to trek and venture through. We believe this is the word of the Lord. And his disciples came out of the temple. One of his disciples said to him, Look, teacher, what wonderful stones and what wonderful buildings. Jesus said to him, Do you see these great buildings? There will not be there will not be left here one stone upon another that will not be thrown down. And as he sat on the Mount of Olives opposite the temple, Peter, James, John, and Andrew asked him privately, tell us then, tell us when these things will be and what will be the signs when all these things are about to be accomplished. And Jesus began to say to them, see that no one lead you astray. Many will come in my name saying, I am he, and they will lead many astray. And when you hear wars of rumors of wars, don't be a nation will rise and must take place, but the end is not yet. For nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be earthquakes in various places. There will be famines. These are but the beginning of the birth pains. Be on your guard. For they will deliver you over to councils and you will be beaten in synagogues and you will stand before governors and kings for my sake to bear witness before them. And the gospel must first be proclaimed to all nations. And when they bring you to trial to deliver you over, do not be anxious beforehand what you are to say, but say whatever is given you in that hour, for it is not you who speak but the Holy Spirit." And brother will deliver brother over to death. And father his child. And children will rise against parents and have them put to death. And you will be hated by all for my name's sake. But the one who endures till the end will be saved. This is God's word. Let's pray. Father God, We come at your word today, your church gathered to hear what you would speak to us. And we ask that among the chaos and the events and the circumstances of life, your word would be true and remain true and would pierce through any confusion and bring clarity and assurance to where we need it. We ask that by the power of your Spirit, you would glorify yourself through this message and through your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. You can be seated. Aloha. How you guys doing? How's it? Guys, all right? Isn't this rain just awesome? I mean, it was like pretty. It's actually cold like today and I love that in fact it's always it's always cold in here 
Um, part of the reason why is because I just sweat profusely, even if it's not that warm. And so um, you're freezing often at my expense because uh, I don't want to be sweating up here and like have to like, bust out the rag and get all really preacherish on you. So anyways, um, hey, it's good to have you with us today. My name is Travis. I'm one of the pastors here at the church. If you are not involved or plugged into a church, if you do not have a church that you call home, we... Uh, encourage you to put your roots down in a Bible-teaching, gospel-centered church. And if the Lord would lead you here at Jesus, that would be awesome. I think what God has done in our salvation is when Jesus died on the cross and absorbed our sin, Jesus did not just save us from eternal condemnation from the flames of hell, but Jesus saved us to himself. Jesus saves us into a relationship with himself that we would know God and that we would love God. And part of that redemptive plan for God is, listen, that God would save you to a people. That God would save you to be in a community of faith where you love one another and others love you, where you are known and where you know others. That is part of God's redemptive plan. That's why we simply just encourage you to do life with the community of faith because God's plan is that you would be on mission, that you would stay focused, that you'd be held accountable, that you would grow and be sharpened in the gospel through his local church. And so just throwing that out there um, to you would invite you, would encourage you to be plugged in um, into intentional meaning relationship with Jesus and his church. We are going to venture through passages the next few weeks that are so intriguing, so intriguing. In fact, it's, it's easy to get caught up in the intriguing aspects of everything that is said and miss the vast panorama of larger truth Jesus is actually communicating to us here, that Jesus is revealing to us. It is riveting to see how creation groans for redemption. Creation groans and awaits redemption. There's earthquakes, there's tsunamis, there's there's famines, and it's equally, equally riveting to see how rulers make power plays and nations wage war against nations with uncertainty. But the chaos of our own sin and the chaos that ravages the earth should not cause us to think that things are out of control and that God is God has created all things and that in creating all things, he saw the preview before the actual showing of the movie and then he hit play and he sat back on the couch like when you binge on Netflix and your favorite episodes for hours just shoving popcorn and candy in your face and 5,000 calories later, you're like, that was cool, right? Like that's not God. Like God doesn't hit play and then let things unfold. God is intimately involved and sovereign over all the events that unfold. If anything, Jesus' statements here exploit the intimate involvement and knowledge God has over his creation. Jesus foreknows these events because Jesus is omniscient. He knows all things. He is in control. So chapter 13, please hear me on this. Chapter 13 is meant to be a catalyst to strengthen our faith because we know who is in control, and we know who knows all things. Jesus 
words should bring for us here awareness in the midst of uncertainty. So Jesus, what he's going to do is he's going to highlight five areas we should have awareness in uncertainty. And yes, I'm actually preaching a five-point message today. I know, it's crazy. But they're here. The points are given to us. The, the, the imperatives for you and I to have awareness in the midst of uncertainty given directly from Jesus are evident and clear. If we're going to have awareness in the midst of uncertainty, the first thing Jesus says is, don't be led astray. Don't be led astray. So after Jesus has a conversation and talking with the disciples about the widow who gave all that she had, they are leaving the temple. And as they're leaving the temple, they're basically saying, Jesus, isn't this temple, this thing is crazy. Isn't this, this crib, this temple where, where people come to worship God, isn't this thing look amazing and beautiful? And it was arguably the most beautiful structure around. They're like, look how awesome these buildings are. And what does Jesus say to them? Do you see, verse 2, these great buildings? There will not be left here one stone upon another that will not be thrown down. In 2017, we can become disconnected from the heaviness of what Jesus just said. The epicenter for the Jewish faith, for the true faith up until that time frame was the temple. It was the epicenter for their faith. The temple was where the law of God was stored. The temple was where animals, where animals were sacrificed and blood was shed for the forgiveness of sins, atoned for. It was, it was, the temple was a place where people worshiped God. It was where the presence of God dwelled. Yet here is Jesus saying, yeah, you see this thing that you think is so awesome? You see this thing where my presence dwells, where my glory reigns? It's coming down. Controversial, insane statement from Jesus right there. What? Well, immediately when the disciples heard this, their hearts would have melted inside their bodies. Thoughts would have been flooding their minds of uncertainty, thinking, well, then where are we going to worship? How will sin be forgiven? How will the presence of my evil be atoned for? Where will the presence of God dwell? And ultimately, they're thinking, well, then when is the kingdom going to come? And this uncertainty is eating away at them. So after a couple mile walk to the Mount of Olives, you can this, these questions are still reeling around in their heads. Peter, John, Andrew, and James privately ask him, "When will be this? When will this be? And what will be the signs?" And before Jesus gives them the signs and the time, Jesus answers them in verse 5. See to it that no one leads you astray. See, there it is. Don't be led astray. 
Many will come in my name, saying, I am he, and they will lead many astray. Disciples, before you get caught up in all the earthly events, before you get stuck on signs, before your mind goes on to wander around about how you are going to worship God because you cannot conceive a faith without the temple being present, Jesus says to them, don't be led astray. Don't let the signs lead you astray. Don't let anyone else lead you astray. Don't even let earthly events you get caught up in them. Don't let those things lead you astray. In fact, Jesus says, don't be led astray. There are others who will come in my name saying, I am he. But we know there is no other Messiah. There is no other Christ than Jesus of Nazareth. He is the only one. In fact, that is why two angels, if you remember the continuation of the gospel in Acts chapter 1, verse 11 the angels are, are there. there. There's two angels that show up. Jesus has ascended into heaven. He's gone up into heaven and the disciples are there. Draws, the jaws dropped wide open like, oh my gosh, did he just do that? Yes, he did. Angels come down because they're there. They're still baffled. Like, what are you doing here? He told you to go. To preach the good news, go. But before he said that, what did the angels say to them? This Jesus, this Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven. This Jesus, this Jesus who is body, this Jesus who is soul. Not Jesus who is just some spiritual ghost. He is a body and he has a soul. This Jesus who you, incredible, everything to follow three plus years ago. This Jesus who you saw did incredible miracles. This Jesus who you witnessed and you saw be crucified, died, and was buried, and on the third day rose again. And he's coming again to judge the living and the dead. This Jesus will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. Now, why is he saying this? It's important. He's saying this because the temple will not be destroyed for 40 more years. The temple will not be destroyed for 40 more years, and there will be more resurgences of Christ saying, yep, I'm Jesus. There, they will be fake messiahs, doppelgangers of Jesus, saying, I am he, after his resurrection, but before the destruction of the temple, you have to remember, people were still hoping that some other Messiah would come and do what Jesus never did. What is that? Keep the temple and overthrow Rome. Yeah, what is Jesus telling them? I'm not going to overthrow Rome, and I'm not keeping the temple. <laughs> right? What do they want? They want a Messiah. Listen to me. They're going to be tempted to follow others who say, I am he, because they are going to want a Messiah who is going to give them everything they want. They are going to search and look for a Messiah who is going to feed the fleshly desires of their heart. And if Jesus is warning us here and telling us, in the midst of these times, don't be led astray, we should be searching for true north. We should be looking for the true Jesus and not being led astray. And so let me ask you, is this Jesus your Jesus? Is this Jesus 
your Jesus, the Jesus who came, the Jesus who died, the Jesus who claimed to be God, who was God, who rose again, body and soul, this Jesus who says he will come again, this Jesus you saw, this Jesus you followed, is going to be the same Jesus when he comes again. Is that the Jesus you follow? Or have you created the desire of Messiah? Have you created a Jesus that, that exists to give you the desires of your flesh? That exists to, to like, almost like a genie in a bottle. You rub him the right way, he's going to give you all your dreams and all the things that you want. That's what Israel was waiting for. And Jesus says, don't be led astray. Jesus' warning indicates the reality of many being led astray from the one and true Jesus. Think about this. The fact that Jesus has to warn us, it reminds us of the reality that we could be led astray. In fact, some of you are like, yeah, you've been saying Jesus is Lord for the last four weeks, pastor. When are you going to drop this Jesus is Lord thing? We're going to talk about something else. Guess what? Jesus has to remind us again here because we are always in need of reminder because we will always pursue other Jesuses than this Jesus. This is the Jesus we need. This is the Jesus who can save us. There is no other Jesus who can deliver us. And when we worship, Je we worship Jesus rightly when we know Jesus rightly. If we don't know the right Jesus, then we aren't worshiping Jesus at all. So weary soul, please hear me right now. Don't follow other fake messiahs. Don't believe in pseudo-gospels that promise to fulfill the desires of your flesh. Don't be led astray. The second area Jesus highlights for us to have awareness and uncertainty is this. He says, don't be alarmed. Verse seven. And when you hear of wars and rumors of wars, do not be alarmed. This must take place, but the end is not yet. Okay, so Jesus, um, I'm hearing you right now, right? The disciples, if I'm one of the disciples, this is what I'd be. I'm hearing you right now. Earthquakes, pretty scary, yeah? Wars are scary. Rumors of wars are scary enough. Famines, you're telling me there's going to be earthquakes, wars, rumors of wars. Nation is going to rise against nation, and yet I'm not to be alarmed? Let's just agree in here. Those are some reasons to be alarmed, right? Like you just read in the news, like North Korea wants to, I guess, blow us off the face of the earth, and the closest thing is going to be Hawaii, right? And so like the, we're like kind of trying to think, oh, we've got to get our, our missile defense system or whatever and all this, this, this craziness. And it's, what is Jesus saying? Don't be alarmed. Why? Because of who Jesus is, this is who Jesus is because Jesus is the Christ. He is the Son of God. And because of what he knows. He is omniscient. He knows all things. There is nothing in creation which God does not have intimate knowledge of. He knows these things are going to be down. And if God knows these things are going to, be going to go down, should you? why would you be alarmed? And to unpack this more, we've talked about it, but I think it's helpful. You can go there later, look up the reference. It's really good. Re Revelation 4.11. Talking about what God knows and talking about nations rise against nations and then the, 
the earth itself, creation groaning, that God is in control of both of those things. Revelation 4.11, worthy are you, Lord our God, to receive glory, honor, and power. You created all things, and by your will they exist and were created. Now, I will a lot of things. You will a lot of things. Can your will alone generate something out of nothing? No, but God's can. God can will something to happen, and it will be there. And there's nothing in creation by which God has not created By his will, he is over it all, which means this is speaking to the sovereignty of God, the lordship of God, the rightful ruler and the control that God has over all things. So if God then, in Revelation 4.11, all things were existed by his will and were created for his will, that means he is sovereign over the earth. The sun radiates light and heat because he willed it. The tides rise and fall because he commands them to rise and to fall. Did you know there is not a rogue molecule in this universe by which God does not have his fingerprint on? Sovereign over the nation. He is sovereign over the earth and he is sovereign over the nations. Rulers rise and fall at his desire. He surveys the boundaries of countries. He is sovereign over the sovereigns, like Donald Trump, Benjamin Netanyahu, Vladimir Putin, Kim Jong-un. Did you know they're not sovereign? Can we say amen to that? Please, thank God, they are not sovereign. (laughs) But our God is sovereign. We are not sovereign, but he is. And you guys, God is not in heaven with his hands tied behind his back. And if you don't believe in his total sovereignty, as I'm explaining it to you as Revelation 4.11 and Colossians chapter 1 and many other places the Bible would explain it to you, if you don't believe in his total sovereignty, then by default you believe that man can act in authority apart from God. And if anyone can act in authority apart from God, That means they are autonomous, and that means they are God. And if man can act in authority apart from the authority of God, that means God fails to be God. Hope I didn't lose some of you there. If we can act in our own authority, apart from God's sovereignty and his ultimate authority, that means we are our own God and God fails to be God. And if that's the case, you have every reason to be alarmed but we don't have to be. Disciples, Christians, those who are alarmed, when you see all these events, famines, earthquakes, nations rising against nations, you know, it's awesome. They're just pawns in the hand of a sovereign God. That word for don't be alarmed in the original language is, means frightened. We don't have to be alarmed. We don't have to like cry out at all these events. He is the alpha and the omega. He is the beginning and the end. He can rule however he pleases. 
And whatever you believe this morning, and there are many people in here who have belief about how the end is going to unfold, whatever you believe about the wrapping up of creation, if God is sovereign, why should we fear? Whatever your belief is about the end times, if Jesus is on the throne, Jesus is on the throne, and that's all we need to know. Sadly, many Christians are alarmed about wars and rumors of wars, and they get newspaper and they get worried when Jesus says, don't be alarmed. Fear-mongering marks many people who have an eschatology that is maybe even rooted in scripture, but taken or twisted or perverted, or people believe things that are simply just fear-mongering and what this eschatology, that's just a fancy word for a belief of how the end is going to go down. Some end times theology instill fear, when in reality, if we have a true eschatology, whatever you believe about how the end is going to unfold, and listen, we all have different beliefs about that. You're like, well, what is he going to believe? We're going to get there next week, okay? Well, <laughs> saving that one for next week. Whatever your eschatology is, it should instill a steadfast love because we know that God is in control. Jesus knew it was all going to happen because it all goes according to his plan. So don't be alarmed. John 14, 1, let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. So don't be led astray. Don't be led astray. Don't be alarmed. And if we're going to have awareness and uncertainty, Jesus says the next thing, be on guard. Point three, be on guard. Verse nine, be on your guard for they will deliver you over to councils and you will be beaten in synagogues and you will stand before governors and kings for my sake to bear witness before them and the gospel must first be proclaimed to all the nations. Just so you know, if you're like, hey, you skipped over verse 10 this week. We're getting there next week. I'm saving that one for, for our discussion and sermon next week. This, though, indirectly applies to us. But just so you know, this directly applies to the disciples. Like, when was the last time you or I were being in a synagogue? The Jewish leaders imprisoned Peter and John. You read about it in Acts. They violently beat them and told them to shut up and not st stop preaching the gospel. Stephen is the first Christian martyr stoned by who? The Jews. Possibly by Saul, a Pharisee of Pharisees, who would later become known as Paul. Why? Because they were witnesses of Jesus. Verse 9, notice what it says. For what? My sake. Verse 13, it's repeated again. All will hate you. For what? For my name's sake. It's not that they hate you, it's that they hate the Jesus in you. They don't hate us, they hate our Lord. And know this, fervent love for Jesus always attracts hatred from the enemy. 
When you have fervent love for Jesus, when you are going to preach the Jesus, when Jesus is your supreme king, your joy, your treasure above all other things, people are going to, the enemy will try to destroy you. So be on your guard. He already has those who are going to hell. So why not make hell on earth for those who are going to heaven who are his? Hey, you, you love Jesus? Or are you a disciple or a follower of Jesus? Hear me. We join a 2,000-year-old heritage where millions of Jesus-loving, disciple-making Christians follow Jesus just like we do. And because they were obedient, they were tortured, even many died. Because they were obedient, it meant death. So to not be on guard means that following Jesus is going to not be on guard means that we think that following Jesus is going to be easy, that following Jesus is going to cost us nothing, that if we love Jesus and if Jesus is our king, our Lord, our treasure, that somehow suffering is going to disappear. We have our vision. Like, we got our retirement plan. Might be small, but maybe, or maybe we're not, I don't have my retirement plan, right? But we're hoping for one. We have air-conditioned cars with electronic recliners, all good things, but we forget and we act as though we live in utopia and we forget and nowhere in our thinking do we have suffering on our radar. Why do we think we will be treated better than Jesus was? Why do I think and why am I offended when someone treats me and says something not nice about me when the one that I follow was crucified. Jesus is setting up their expectations here. That's what he's doing. He's saying, because of your obedience, you will suffer. Probably gets a kill shot, by the way, to prosperity gospel. Follow Jesus, you're probably gonna die, Right? Okay. In fact, he promised them, you're going, to be, you're going to be brought before kings. Yeah, I get to see that. I get to see the king. It's awesome. Beaten and naked. You guys, you need to be on guard. 1 Peter 4.1, Since therefore Christ suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves with this same way of thinking. That's being on guard. To be on guard is to have in your thinking, Christ suffered in the flesh. I must be willing to suffer in the flesh for Christ. This is how we are to think. This is what it means to be on guard. Now, if this, by the way, is making you like, okay, for real, pastor? Like, I mean, this is what Jesus is saying. I believe what you're saying is true because it's the Bible. I'm kind of worried about this. I'm a little bit anxious about this conversation. Well, guess what Jesus' next point is? Don't be anxious. Point number four, don't be anxious. Verse 11, and when they bring you to trial and deliver you over, do not be anxious beforehand what you are to say, but say whatever is given to you in that hour. For it is not you who speak, but the Holy 
spirit. And so in their trials, this is not a, a, a thing for like, uh, all right, pastor, just go up and don't study and just wing it and see how it goes. Though I've heard pastors actually use that, which by the way is a joke because we pastors are to study, to show themselves a prudent to God, a, a workman that shouldn't be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. So that's not an excuse for unprepared pastors. What that is saying is that disciples, when you go into trial, when you're standing before these kings and you're before the, re, the religious elite and the smartest scholars on earth, they're going to intimidate you. But the Holy Spirit will be your attorney, your advocate, and he will defend you and give you the words to say. And they will leave the religious speechless. Who? Bunch of homeboy fishermen blowing the minds of the religious elite and the smartest people in the world. And brother will deliver brother over to death and the father, his child, and children will rise against parents and have them put to death. Even though you will be handed over in trial, even though your dad or your mom or, or your children are going to turn you in. It's just speaking to the disciples, not their time. They're going to turn you in because you love Jesus and they do not. Don't be anxious. That word for anxious here, how is that different than what we studied before? Don't be alarmed. Alarmed, again, like we said, means to cry out in fear. To not be anxious is to not be afraid beforehand. Before something happens, don't be afraid. It's important for us to know what's happening here. The centrality of their faith, the temple, for the Jews... The centrality of their faith was the temple. And the community of family, which would have been father, mother, and children, was everything to a Middle Eastern Jew. If you were a Middle Eastern Jew at this time, everything was the community of faith and the community of your family. The temple and your family. Yet here is Jesus telling them, don't be alarmed when everything you value in life, worship and family, are removed. Don't be alarmed or anxious when everything that is central to your life is removed. Because when all those things are removed and you are alone, the Holy Spirit will be with you. He will be with you. Jesus promises his disciples, what? I will never leave you or forsake you. And Jesus allows events and circumstances in our life to remove all other things that we have made central so that he would be in the center. If you are going to have awareness and uncertainty, don't be led astray, don't be alarmed, be on guard, don't be anxious, and lastly, Endure. Endure. Look at verse 13. And you will be hated by all for my name's sake. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. This is the lens by which we have to interpret everything happening here. If you are led astray, if you are alarmed, if you are not on guard, 
If you are anxious, you will not endure till the end. And if you do not endure till the end, then you will not be saved. Because all those who endure to the end will be saved. Even if everyone hates you. Jesus is calling you to persevere. The call to follow Jesus is a call to endure. And listen, I know this isn't like one of those like kind of, you know, sexy slogans that like a lot of pastors like to use that Christians like to talk about. Endure. You single? Until God brings someone, guess what? Endure your loneliness. You're in a tough marriage. You made a promise. Endure your spouse. Parents. Kids wearing you out a little bit. You did what? with the sippy cup for the 50,000th time? Endure. Hey, you suffering? You suffering from cancer? Think of like in our church, Mary, Xavier, John Rourke, brother in the back, suffering through cancer. Other, th those of you suffering? Endure. Endure. Hey, you tired this morning? You exhausted? You don't know how you're going to go on another day? Endure. You losing interest in the gospel? Are your affections for Jesus growing less and less because the world is becoming more and more beautiful? Persevere. Don't quit. Don't give up. Keep going. The Holy Spirit is with you and he will carry you because everyone who endures will be saved. You're not on your own. Don't give up. Don't throw in the towel. We endure because we believe that at the end of our enduring, we receive the crown of glory in Christ Jesus. And whether it's through hatred, through family, famines, Wars, rumors of wars, it doesn't matter. We get Jesus. Endure. I'm going to close reading Romans 15, 5 to you. It's so good. Just let this minister to your soul in closing here. May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another in accord with Christ Jesus. Father God, we thank you that we can suffer and endure because Jesus, you've done that for us. That we don't have to turn to our own strength. That we don't have to rely on ourselves. So would you grace us the ability to continue to fight even though we're tired, even though we're exhausted, even though parenting is a mess, our singleness frustrates us, our marriage isn't what we had hoped it would be.
May we not be led astray. May we not be alarmed. May we be on guard and not be anxious and endure these things. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening. Please visit shorebreakchurch.com to stay connected or to share your story.